0: Yes, if your generation's church, um, if he told you I have grandchildren, so I'm definitely the next or two generations beyond most of you, but we'll do our best. Um, AIM is much older than I am. AIM is 125 years old. Um, it's entirely focused on Africa and African peoples. Uh, we have about 700 members. Uh, we work in 23 countries. And primarily, what AIM wants to do is first of all, Church planting and disciple making among unreached African people groups. Second thing, helping to mobilize and send African missionaries, and there are many of them. Third is helping to train African church leaders. So that's the focus of AIM. If you're interested in mission, if you're interested in Africa, come speak with my wife or I after the service. We'd love to have a chat with you now. I'm not primarily here to recruit for AIM but again happy to talk about that if you'd like to Um, before I get to the scriptural text today well gotta go that way there we are I have just a couple of points here I need to make Um, you see a map of Africa in front of you with a bunch of uh, yellow and green dots and a bunch of red dots Um, and this is about unreached people groups in Africa so first and foremost let's think about what an unreached people group is okay people group we usually think about an ethnic or linguistic people group so uh, white Americans is presumably a people group it may be the Chinese Americans is another people group okay you with me Cherokee Americans is another people group okay Um, but unreached people groups are people, and not just people who are unsaved, they're groups of people or places that have no access to the gospel. That's an unreached people group. Uh, An ethnic group where most people have minimal or no access to the gospel, and the church that exists, if it exists at all, is lacking in size or resources or maturity to reach their own people. So a church that uh, a, a people group that is majority Muslim but has a minority of Christians a strong church we don't call that an unreached people group because the church has the means by the Holy Spirit to reach their own people. Okay, but unreached people groups they're so the church is so small generally considered to be about less than two percent of the population they don't have the means to reach their own people and those are the kind of people then we want to send cross-cultural missionaries to that unreached people group. Okay. Another definition, people living and dying without ever having the opportunity to know Jesus Christ. That's an unreached people group. Now, if you look at this map, the red dots are unreached and the, the green dots are reached people groups, okay? And mission has been a huge success in Central and Southern and Eastern Africa. And that's all that green. Those are places the gospel that has penetrated. People groups that are no longer unreached. There's a substantial church. And in every sub-Saharan African country, there are huge and vibrant churches that put our own churches to shame. Okay. There are millions and millions and millions and hundreds of millions of Christians in Africa. It's been one of the great success stories, glory to God, of mission in the 20th and 21st century. Okay. But the work is not finished because you have all those red dots and those are the unreached people groups. Okay? And you can see they're concentrated North Africa, West Africa and that band across the middle called the Sahel and a little bit down the East Coast, okay? If you know anything about the geography and the peoples of Africa, those are almost all Muslim people groups, okay? Almost all of the green dots are traditional African religion or animist people groups. The red dots are Muslim people groups. Okay. There are about a thousand African unreached people groups that take that are about three hundred and fifty million people still with no access to the gospel. So there's been wonderful progress of the gospel in Africa. Of course, not just through AIM, through many organizations and many churches. But the work is far from finished. Yeah. Okay, second point. Just think about mission for a minute. I often make a distinction when I talk between mission and evangelism. Mission being cross-cultural and usually international, evangelism being local and usually among people of your own people group, sharing the gospel with your own people. Okay? Both are valuable kingdom work, and we don't have to set one against another and say one is more important. But they're usually distinct. You can usually divide them. You share the gospel with your neighbor, that's evangelism. You go down to Guatemala and share it with a people group that you don't know their language, that's mission. Okay. But in this context... Southern California, for for example, you live in a multicultural society and you have unreached people groups, members of those groups living among you. You have Muslim people groups among you. You have Hindu people groups among you. And so it gets all mixed up in an urban North American context. And so it's hard to tell what is mission and what is evangelism. Um, The mission field, we think, is overseas, but the mission field is also here. Now, that's only a problem for me because I like to put things in nice boxes and divide them up. Um, But it's not a problem for the Lord because he knows exactly what he's doing, whether that fits into my compartments or not. Missions and local evangelism work together, and they complement each other. And a church that is strong in local evangelism will usually be strong in missions as well, and vice versa. If you have a heart to reach your own community, you'll probably have a heart to reach Africa as well. Okay, on to the scripture. Uh, my, My key text today, though, I'll just quote it once, is John 15, 17. Go on. Um, John fifteen seventeen. Jesus answered them, "My Father is working until now, and I am working. My Father is working, I am working." Okay. So the question I want to ask is: Well, we know the Lord is at work even until now. What is He doing? what is this work the Lord is doing including on the Sabbath day of the context Jesus was asked this question well he's doing a whole bunch of things and I can't give you a comprehensive list that would take days probably but I'm gonna focus on five things that the Lord is doing particularly with regard to mission okay now what I'll do I'll quote a scripture there's five of them I'll talk about what is the work the Lord is doing what is an encouragement that we have from this work? What is our response to that work? And then I'll tell a little story, something that connects to that work. So let's go right on. Matthew 16:18. you know this verse. I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I'm going to stop here and pray before I get into this scripture. Father, we are thankful for this opportunity, thankful for what you're doing. We're thankful that you are working to this day. Help me, please, Lord, with humility and grace to encourage and challenge my brothers and sisters and to lift up the name of Jesus Christ in all I do and say, please come, Holy Spirit, fill me, fill us all, and speak to us today. In Jesus' name, amen. You are Peter, on this rock I'll build my church, the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Don't get lost in the Peter part, we like to have big discussions about that. The important part here today that I want to talk about is who is building the church. And it's very clear that Jesus Christ is building His church. That's the work. The work, He's building His church. From Acts chapter 2, the, uh, the, the birthday of the new church on the day of Pentecost until Matthew twenty four fourteen. You know what that is? This gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. Okay, so from Acts 2 to Matthew twenty-four, fourteen, the Lord himself is building his church. Now, need to make the point, people build buildings and people organize congregations. Christ is the one that builds the true church. Okay, what's the encouragement for us? Well, that the church will be built. And the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. What are these gates? These gates, the gates defend. Okay, the gates do not attack. Gates defend, if you think of a walled city with gates, or a prison with gates. That's the kind of gates we're talking about. They keep people imprisoned, okay? And these are the gates that keep ethnic and religious unreached people groups that keep these groups captive, including in your own community here. Keeps them imprisoned, but these gates cannot and will not resist Jesus Christ and his church. So let us pray and trust that the gates of all the communities around us and around the world will not prevail, but will open up to the Master Jesus Christ. The gates of hell will not prevail. What is our response to that? Simply this that we work with Him. If you look at 1 Corinthians 3, you know that it is Jesus who builds His church. But of course, he uses human beings, men and women, boys and girls, to do that. If we serve according to his word, his will, his power. He builds his church. He uses human beings to do that. There's a picture from my living room in a country we used to work in. I can't tell you the name of the country. It would cause problems, but we called it Alcatraz because it just felt like a prison. Uh, And some people from the church, our supporting churches, actually thought we were working on Alcatraz Island in San Francisco Bay, which was strange because nobody lives there. There's like sea lions, but I don't think they need the gospel. okay, we lived in this country called Alcatraz. I worked as a doctor. My wife was teaching English. Um, and we just started inviting our patients to our home. One day we invited a bunch of women and, who I knew, who I was seeing on a regular basis. We said you can come to our house you can bring your mom you can bring your oldest daughter if you want we're gonna show you uh, the Jesus film in your own language I'll try not to say the language but I'll probably slip up we'll show it in your own language and we'll have a nice meal do you want to come well they came and they watched the Jesus film they loved it they loved the food they said can we come back next week uh, okay okay you come back next week Well, they came back next week, and they came back every Friday for two years, and the group grew. Some local Christian ladies came and helped teach. There were women who came to faith in that group. It was wonderful, every Friday meeting together and just teaching the Scripture and the local language to these needy women in this uh, unreached country. People were watching us, unfortunately. The police were watching us. They investigated us. And one day I got a call from the police department, was ordered to appear. Uh, And uh, to make a long story short, they told me, You have three days and then you're out of here. So we packed up our bags and we left. We had no choice. Um, Others continued the work, and the Lord continued his ministry among these women. Um, I was. Bothered. I thought maybe we've been unwise. Maybe we've been too bold. Maybe we've been too open sharing the gospel. Maybe we should have been more careful. But one of my missionary friends came to me and said, Never regret sharing the gospel with anybody. And that was a good word. Never regret sharing the gospel with anybody. Um, so the Lord is building his church, including among needy women like these. We are confident, we're confident that he is still doing it. Second text, John 10, 16. I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock and one shepherd. Now this is the founding verse of the The mission that I worked for, Africa Inland Mission. Our founder, a man named Peter Cameron Scott, in the late 1800s was in Westminster Abbey in London. Okay, if you ever go to London, it's worth going to Westminster Abbey. All the British heroes are buried there. Okay, and you find the grave of a man named David Livingstone, who was a famous missionary in southern and eastern Africa. Uh, It's only a few steps away from Charles Darwin's grave, so it's a bit odd, but there it is. There's Livingstone's grave, and this verse is on Livingstone's grave. Okay, and... Our founder, Peter Scott, was walking through looking and he saw this verse and the Lord spoke to him at that moment and told him to start a mission that would reach into the interior of Africa. The gospel was on some of the coastlines, but not on the interior. It was entirely unreached, which, uh, which is why it's called Africa Inland Mission. Okay, so this is our founding verse. Um, Jesus says, I must bring them also. They'll listen to my voice. There'll be one flock and one shepherd. Now, who are these sheep that Jesus was talking about? Well, they're people without access to the gospel. In Jesus' time it would have been all Gentiles because Jesus was only speaking to Jewish people in general, and the Kingdom of God was only there among Jewish people. But Jesus was saying, other sheep. He was referring to those Gentile non-Jewish people who needed to hear the good news. And today we call them unreached people groups. Again, people in places where there is no gospel. Whether that's in Africa, whether that's in Asia, whether that's in Southern California. yeah. So what's the work? Calling the lost sheep and bringing the lost sheep into Jesus' sheepfold. That's what Jesus is doing okay, today. The encouragement, well, if you noticed in the verse, the encouragement is that they will listen. He says, I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. There will be one flock and one shepherd. He's not saying, go and do this, and hopefully you'll win some lost sheep. No, he's saying they will listen. They will come into the sheepfold. There'll be one flock, one shepherd. (coughs) Excuse me. Okay, that's the encouragement. They will listen. Even those unreached people, group sheep. Even those mainland Chinese sheep. Even those of other religious communities. And those American materialistic, materialistic secular sheep. And those hard resistant sheep. I'm looking at these young people. Your high schools are full of these resistant sheep, and yet they will listen to the gospel. That's what Jesus says. They will hear. They will respond to the voice of the Master. This is not about us, and it's not about them. It's about Jesus Christ and His voice. The response? the response is obvious, that we share the gospel. We preach the gospel, we share the gospel, we live the gospel. How does Jesus call people? He says, He is the one doing the calling. How does He do it? Well, the answer is obvious. He does it through human beings. He prepares hearts through the Holy Spirit, but He speaks through us. Yeah, the Lord could preach the gospel directly from heaven. He doesn't do it. The Lord could send angels to preach the gospel. He doesn't do it. I met a man in Ethiopia once, a prominent Christian leader, and he told us his testimony. He said, my father was a witch doctor. Okay, we were not believers in Jesus at all. And one day, an angel came to my house. Okay, Okay, that was pretty good. I I don't know how he knew it was an angel. Maybe the wings or something. I'm not sure. But an angel came to his house, and the angel told his father, tomorrow a man is coming with a message. Believe what the man says. And then the angel left. Okay? Well, next day, knock, knock, knock on the door. Here's an evangelist who preaches the gospel. Okay? And him and his whole family believe. Okay, there's a lot of really good things in that story. But the point for today is that the angel didn't preach the gospel. The angel said, there's a man coming to preach the gospel to you. Uh, Why is that? The Lord has given the task of sharing the gospel to us, to men and women, boys and girls, human beings. It's his work, but we are his mouth. I was working in a place called Comoro Islands with my family. That was where we started out, near Madagascar. And I have a very good friend, I can't put his picture up there because I didn't want to put it on the internet, um, but we'll call him Ali for today. Um, Ali was a nurse at the hospital that I was working at, and he came to me fairly early on, and he wanted to get to know me and his wife, and he came to our house. And then one day he just said, will you teach me your book? He's a Muslim, of course. I said, sure. So we started every week, we would get together. And what we would do, we just open it up from Genesis chapter 1. And that's how we went. It took us Genesis up to about Exodus 20. Okay, just going through verse by verse, chapter by chapter. And then after that it gets a bit confusing. And so we did a kind of a hop, skip, and jump through the Old Testament prophecies, different stories. took us about two years to get to the New Testament in Jesus Christ. Okay? Now, the good thing about using that method is by the time you get to the New Testament they're ready I've never had anybody who's gone through that extensive Old Testament study say oh no Jesus is not the Son of God like all Muslims say Jesus did not die on a cross like all Muslims say no because they've been prepared for that in the Old Testament and all the pictures of Jesus and the prophecies about Jesus and and they've come to respect the Word of God and see its power they're ready for Jesus by the time they get to the New Testament Somewhere along there, Ali came to Christ he was saved. Ali's wife believed as well. They shared the gospel with their children. And 25 years later, they continued to share the gospel with their friends and family in a fairly difficult Muslim environment. Every Sunday, I have a Bible study with Ali on the phone. It's great. We were talking about Daniel chapter 10 today. Amazing, wonderful chapter Talk with a Muslim, an ex-Muslim, sorry, in Comoro Island sitting there talking about Daniel chapter 10 on Facebook Messenger. Wonderful. Yeah, that goes on to today. What's the point? That was a lost sheep that the Lord called and the Lord brought into his sheepfold. He continues to do exactly that. Third verse, Acts chapter 18, verse 9. Sorry, we'll skip. Whoop, went the wrong way. there we are the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision do not be afraid but go on speaking and do not be silent for I am with you no one will attack you to harm you for I have many in this city who are my people Okay. Paul has a dream he's new in Corinth presumably he's come from Philippi he's in Corinth now he has a dream don't be afraid now was Paul ever afraid Paul, of all people, did Paul need to hear that message? Well, obviously he did. We tend to think of Paul being as bold as a lion, and I think he was. But Paul had come off a very difficult experience in Philippi. You recall, he'd been beaten, he'd been thrown in jail. Yeah, there's a great story, but that wasn't that easy. And Paul faced opposition right from the beginning in Corinth and would face more opposition later on. And Paul needed that encouragement at that stage in his ministry. The Lord says, don't be afraid. Go on speaking. Do not be silent. I'm with you. No one will harm you. Okay, that's good encouragement for Paul. But then this last verse, I have many in this city who are my people. What's the work the Lord is doing? I'm working to this day. My father is, is, is working. The work is he is reserving people for himself. In the cities of the world. Probably in every single city of the world. He has people that he says, these are my people. Now, some of them are in the kingdom. Some of them know they are his people. And a lot of them don't. A lot of them don't know. They don't believe in Jesus. But Jesus says, these are my people. I've reserved them for myself. Uh, And he says, Paul, speak. Because I have many of these people in this city of Corinth. Uh, Again, some are in the kingdom, some are not. Presumably, in this context in Corinth, most of them were not yet in the kingdom. Uh, And that's what Paul, that's the encouragement Paul needs to go on with his ministry. Uh, So what's the encouragement for Paul? he has his people there, and presumably in every city, and they, like the lost sheep, From John chapter 10, they will listen because they already belong to the Lord. What's our response? Again, this is not difficult, right? The response is we need to speak. The only way we identify these people reserved for the Lord is we speak the gospel to them. Uh, Don't be silent. We don't know exactly who these people are. They don't have an X on their forehead. They don't have a mark on their back. Okay? The only way we find them is by speaking the gospel to them. We know the, we don't know who they are, but we know they're out there. That's for sure. Yeah. We may have not have this specific promise made to Paul. You and I cannot claim the promise made to Paul that no one is going to attack us and no one is going to harm us. No, we don't have that promise. That was specific for Paul in the context. People may attack us and people may well harm us, but these people that belong to the Lord are out there and they will hear his voice so we need to follow the example of Paul speak up speak the gospel clearly and boldly oh, missed a picture there no oh, okay I guess I took a picture out anyway there we are um, we worked in the country of Djibouti. Yeah. Who knows where Djibouti is? <laughs> Come on, one hand. Yeah. <laughs> okay. One of the smallest countries in Africa, in the Horn of Africa, right on the Red Sea. Okay. And if you've seen that old Coca-Cola commercial, the capital of Djibouti is Djibouti. So, if you want to look on a map, you can see where it is. But we worked there. It's a Muslim country. Okay. One summer. We had some volunteers come out, some short-term people from my church, and they were medical people. My wife's a nurse, and we said, okay, what we're going to do is we're going to have a clinic in one of the poorer areas of town, squatter people there from the surrounding countries who lived along the railroad tracks. Um, now Djibouti is beastly hot especially in the summer and it was so dusty and this is a terrible place to live and it's probably even a worse place to have a medical clinic but that's what they did they were three weeks out there treating people helping people ministering to people and at the end we said okay if anybody wants to come to our house and see this film about Jesus in your own language then please come And a bunch of them came. Okay, that was good. Uh, And, you know, the same thing happened. They watched the film. They had a nice meal. They said, can we come back next week? Okay. So they came back, and they watched it again. And then I didn't speak much of the local language at the time, but we had a local, there was another missionary who spoke language pretty well. She started coming over. And next thing you know, every week we got 30 local women and 20 kids over there hearing the gospel out on our courtyard. Okay, and that went on for two or three years again. There was a, a woman on our team who wanted to have a children's ministry. She was funny. She said, I want to have ch-. She had her flannel gram. Oh, you young people, you don't know what that is, right? Uh, That was an old Sunday school thing. She had one of these old things, pictures, stick pictures up there, and she wanted to have children's ministry. We said, no, you can't have children's ministry. This is a Muslim country. You have have a children's ministry, next thing you'll have a prison ministry because that's where you're going to go. Muslims don't take well to these kind of things. But next thing you know, here's all these kids at our house, and she gets out her flannel gram and do, okay, great, the Lord gave that to her. But this went on for years. Um, There were potential trouble. People would say the police are going to come. They're going to arrest you, this and that. We'd kind of lie low for a couple weeks, and then we'd start up again, and nothing ever happened. Okay, we kept going. Toward the end of our time in Djibouti, there were nine women of that group who we thought, these women are ready to be baptized. And we asked them if they wanted to be baptized. They said yes. Okay, so one night we went off to the beach, very bold, very courageous, in the middle of the night, snuck down to the beach. Um, if you think b- baptism always has to be a public thing, uh, well, you might rethink that if you're in a Muslim country. Um, so we snuck down to the beach, and we did a baptism, and I told these women, I said, please bring a change of clothes, because, you know, you'll come back to our house afterwards, and you will not be wearing your wet clothes. They wear these long kind of dresses. Um, So, we had a wonderful baptism time, and they went off behind my truck, and they changed clothes, all these women. Okay, and then I saw them running back toward the ocean. And I thought, what are they doing? And they took their old clothes that they got baptized in, and they threw them into the ocean. And then they came back to the truck. I said, what are you doing? They said, we're clean now. Our lives are new. We don't need those dirty old clothes. That was really something. We didn't teach them that. They created their own little ritual that demonstrated that they really got it. The Holy Spirit taught them that. They got it. Why? Because they were people that the Lord had said, these are my people. He had reserved them for himself, just needed some people to come along and share the gospel with them. So the Lord does that. He does it in Djibouti. He does it in your own communities. Next verse. Hmm. We are missing several verses. Okay. Well, don't have the next verse, so I'll just quote it. Okay, we're at the end of the PowerPoint. If you guys could flip it back a couple slides anyway. I'll read this. This is Acts 17. Um, But it didn't get on the PowerPoint. Um, Verses 26 through 28. This is Paul preaching on Mars Hill. Okay. He made from one man every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth. Having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place. That they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he's not actually far from each one of us. Okay, I'll read that again. He made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined, listen, allotted periods and boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps find their way toward Him, though He's not far from each one of us. What is Paul saying here? He's saying God has determined the times and places where different peoples are going to live. Now, think through the implications of that, that God has determined the times and places where peoples are going to live. So what's the work? God is moving people around the world. Why? To bring them close to Himself, to bring them to places where they will hear the Gospel. Okay? That's what Paul says they, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward Him. That's why God is moving people around the world. Okay. Why are you all in this place? Most of you are Chinese origin. Why are you here? Acts 17, you are here because the Lord brought you here. You are here because the Lord brought you here to hear the gospel. But also, the Lord brought you here to preach the gospel. The lord That's what the kind of thing, and it gets all mixed up why the Lord is doing Why all these Africans went up, in, went up into Europe in recent years. You see these boats across the Mediterranean. They're full of West Africans, okay? Now, some of those people the Lord is bringing to Europe so they can hear the gospel. A lot of them are Muslims, okay? But a lot of those people are Christians. They're Nigerians and Congolese. And the Lord is bringing them to preach the gospel in Europe. All the biggest churches in Paris and London are African churches. Okay? A British person said, we looked for revival and we didn't... well, sorry, we prayed for revival. We didn't recognize it when it came because its face was black. The Lord is moving people around to expose people to the gospel. It works both ways. Why are my people on this continent? It's the same thing. Same reason. The Lord is moving people around to bring them close to Himself. Now, people have their own reasons for moving around. Okay, we're just seeing this in Afghanistan. The Lord is going to bring 100,000 new Afghanis here. Why is He doing that? Is this just because of the Taliban? I don't think so. The Lord is moving people around. Why is the Lord bringing us 100,000 new Afghani people? So they could hear the Gospel that's why people have their own issues and their own reasons for moving around good and bad Okay, there are legitimate issues political issues, social issues around immigration there are, but we need to remember what kingdom we are citizens of, first and foremost we're citizens of the kingdom of God rather than citizens of the United States. We are citizens of the United States or wherever, but we are first and foremost citizens of the kingdom of God. We should not be too concerned about the politics of immigration. The Encouragement, God is the one who has done this. We say, where have all these people come from? Well, it doesn't really matter. The Lord is the one who is bringing them. And for good reason, our response, we don't fight immigration. We love Immigrants. That's the biblical perspective. We share the gospel with them. Yeah, you all, immigrants or children of immigrants. You don't need to hear this from me. You understand these things better than me. Well, I have no don't don't have a picture of this young man. There's a friend I have. He's from Republic of Guinea in West Africa. He's a Fulani, a Muslim. I met him in Spain. Okay and he heard the gospel in Spain and I've stayed in touch with him, he's in France now. He's a little Fulani guy, he's 20 years old. But he's come to believe in Jesus Christ because he was part of this wave of Africans moving up into Europe. And the Lord brought him in order for him to hear the gospel. Same thing. I have Bible studies with this guy two, three times a week on WhatsApp. It's wonderful. He's growing in his faith. He's trying to find a way to stay in France. They don't want him. They're trying to boot him out. But he's fighting to stay in Europe right now. But the important thing is the Lord brought him to hear the gospel. And gave me a wonderful privilege of discipling him. Uh. Finally, Acts 13.2. There we are. Oh, that Acts 17.1 was there. Okay, thank you. There it is. Okay. Acts 13.2. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said... Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. (laughs) Now, that's kind of our key verse for churches sending missionaries. Okay, that's the missionary call of Saul who later became Paul and Barnabas. Okay, Um, we don't know how he did this. We don't know whether there's a prophet that stood up in the church. We don't know whether maybe Barnabas and Saul already had a sense that God was calling them and it was confirmed by the church. Maybe there was just this overwhelming sense in the church. We don't know how this happened. But one thing is clear. It was very clear to the church that the Lord was saying this to them. Okay, they did happen during worship and fasting. So we ought to think about that. And we also need to think that these were leaders of the church. Maybe they were the leaders of the church. There were others, but these, (laughs) imagine losing, losing Apostle Paul from your church, losing Barnabas from your church. They were maybe the best guys in the church, and yet they are the ones. But it was clear enough, they obeyed immediately. Now, I don't know if it was that same Sunday. They probably had to raise some money and prepare a little bit. But they they got on it pretty quick. The Lord had spoken to them. What's the work the Lord is doing to this day? He is still calling foreign cross-cultural missionaries. He did it in Matthew 28, Great Commission, where he told the disciples, Go, make disciples of all peoples. Uh, sorry, he did it in Acts 13, and he's still doing it in our day. The encouragement, the Lord takes authority over the spread of the gospel to all nations and peoples. The Lord takes authority over this. Human beings, we think, we plan, we strategize. That's good. It is under the Lord's authority to do this. Great commission, all authority in heaven and on earth is given to me. Therefore, go. Uh, He did it for my people. Now, when I talk about my people, do you know what I mean? Oh, my people are Vikings. My people are horrible, nasty, idol-worshiping, human-sacrificing, terrible people. But, by the grace of God, in the ninth century, the Lord sent missionaries from the British Isles to my people, to Denmark, Norway, Sweden, sent the gospel to them, and they were were converted. Ah, Which is why many of my people are believers in Jesus Christ. we We were some of those other sheep. He did it for my people, he does it for your people, he does it for Africans, Asians, so many others. Our response... As a church, we listen to the Lord, we identify people, we train them, we prepare them, we pray and fast, we lay our hands on them, and we send them out. This is still the responsibility of the local church like your church. Now, we, don't, we just don't send them, we, we support them, we pray for them, we walk with them. But this is still what the Lord gives the local church to do. I don't have a story to tell you about this, but I want to ask, what is the mission story of Generations Church? What will be your mission story? What will the Lord do among you? Who will the Lord send out from your people? Last bit. That's my daughter on the left and that's a girl named Amina on the right. I met her in my clinic one day in Djibouti. She was alone, she was miserable, she had nothing and she was sick. And I felt so sorry for her and I came home and I asked my family, can I bring this girl home with me? My family said, okay, you can bring her home. I thought, I have daughters about her age. I thought, what would I want if my own daughter was alone and sick and penniless in a foreign country? What would I want? I would want someone to take care of her. So we brought Amina home. She was a Muslim girl from Ethiopia. Um, She came and she lived in our house. She slept in the same bedroom as my daughter, Bethany. Uh, And my daughters loved her, and we loved her. We didn't have a common language. She spoke Amharic, uh, but uh, we found a way with our watchman who spoke all the local languages to translate, and we got to know this girl. Um, Other Ethiopians came to my house when they heard that we'd had this girl living with us, Ethiopian Christians, and they shared the gospel with her. We couldn't share the gospel with her. We couldn't say anything to her, but they shared the gospel. And one day we were at a dinner, and they said, look, your daughter is receiving the Lord. And there she is. She's kneeling on the ground. She's praying to receive Jesus Christ. These Ethiopians administered the truth to her. She started sharing the gospel with others. One day, I brought another girl home from my clinic, not to live at our house, but just to stay with us for a bit and rest. And I came out, and, and Amina is showing her the Jesus film. She figured out how to use the VCR. That's another thing you young people don't know about VCRs. Put the, put the video cassette in there. She's showing her the Jesus film in her own language. That Amina came to Christ, too, and she died three weeks later. Yeah. Amina, um, we called her Amy because she wanted to be called Amy. She said, I'm Amy the American girl. No, I'm not Amina anymore. Um, she had tuberculosis. and She had HIV. No matter what we did, she got sicker and sicker. And she finally told us, I want to go home. I want to go home to Ethiopia and die there. There were some missionaries who were going to Ethiopia, and we asked them, can, can Amina go with you? And they took her. And she was in Ethiopia one week. She made it to her, her home village, and she died there. Um, a lady called me up who had helped get Amina to her home village. And she told me that she died. And my family was very sad, especially my daughters, because they loved her. Um, and I really felt like as a doctor, I'd failed this girl. We couldn't, we couldn't make her any better, even though we had all the medications that would have been appropriate. And this Ethiopian lady told me, she said, you were a father to her when she most needed a father. That was a privilege we had with Amina, and I know that one day she'll be waiting for us when we go to heaven. She'll be one of those people waiting for us at the gates. All of these things come together in Amina's story. She was one of his chosen lost sheep from John He moved her around. He moved her to Djibouti, Acts 17. He sent missionaries, us and these Ethiopian people, to speak the gospel to her, Acts 13. She was one of the people in Djibouti that he had reserved for himself. And God's people were bold to proclaim the gospel to her, Acts 18. And he made her a part of his church, Matthew 16. Now, you may come away from this with a challenge to engage in missions and local evangelism. And if you do, that will be a good thing. Uh, We are so blessed to be engaged in His work. But the bigger message is this. The Lord is at work. And we are at work with Him. Be encouraged. He will accomplish His purposes and He will reward those who work faithfully with Him. He invites us come and serve in His kingdom. Amen.